0: Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today. And I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. We've been, we've been going through the series um, What I Really Want. What I really want. And and we've been looking at the perception from God. What does God really want from us? And today's uh, part four, and our, our title for today is, I didn't hear him call. I didn't hear him call. And I want to read y'all uh, I read y'all scripture, but first I want to ask you this question. When was the last time you felt God call you to do something? When is the last time that you felt God call you to do something? Now let me read y'all this, uh, this these verses in Isaiah chapter six, verse one through eight, and this is actually one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Um, it it really I, I've shared this uh, this scripture a lot of times in our church, and it it really inspires me and it just like beckons my heart. I want to share it with you. Is it was the year of King Uzziah the, that it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations. And the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal. He had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people who will go for us? I said, Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. And the reason I love this, this scripture is because it shows... uh our heart and the fact that we feel like we are not able to be used by God and it shows how God makes a way even just having sending the angel to put the coal on his lips and says look now you're good just go out and now you can raise your hand and it's like we all have this hesitation to say here I am God send me because we feel guilty because we feel shame we feel like we're not qualified to do it and the scripture is so inspiring to me because It shows us that, yes, you can raise your hand and say, here I am, God, send me. But you have to be willing. And I feel like there's this big disconnect between willingness and calling. Willingness and calling. And what we really imagine is that a calling to be like this story. Where it's like a big show, right? (laughs) Where angels are flying down saying, my child, do not worry here. Your, your lips are cleansed now go, and we're like, well, God hasn't called me yet because that hasn't happened and we we feel like look in the story it's like the whole temple is shaking and there's smoke it's like it's like the Wizard of Oz scene you know like it's really intense, and so it makes sense of why he's willing to answer God's call right because how could you not after seeing all that and see the big disconnect we face is we feel like we we haven't heard that call we didn't hear that call a lot of times when I when I'm talking to people about God and I'll even share my story or say this and that and a very common response is well I just haven't had that that moment where I found God I just feel like I haven't heard him call me or talk to me I just haven't I haven't felt that I haven't heard that and It's like for most of us, there's this big disconnect in our belief of God in the moment where we really come to him, where we meet him. And we imagine in the case that God would meet me, I would be willing, right? If God came down on on a cloud and said, what's up? I would say, what's up? But... It's like so many people are waiting for that moment to hear him or to see him. And the truth is, for most of us, including myself, it's not going to happen like this story where it's going to be this obvious billboard that hits you in the face. And I want us to I want us to, to look at David David in the, in the Bible, um, his story is told in First and Second Samuel. And David is somebody that is, is known as a man after God's own heart. And the reason we're going to look at his story today is because that's what it, it, he fulfilled what God really wanted from him. He wasn't perfect, but he was described as a man after God's own heart to the point where God was so pleased with him that he chose David's line, his lineage for the Messiah to come forth. And so we're going to look at him and his heart and how we can try to identify with him and get some tricks from David to see how we can meet God, like how he did. And so the very first thing that I want us to look at is David's willingness, David's willingness. And all throughout David's story, we see this, this image of, of David just being so willing to do what God tells him to do. And again, in his story, we, he has like prophets coming to him and telling him. And it seems like he was just always like in tune with what God wanted him to do. And the biggest story I want us to look at is when he was facing Goliath. That was like his big first big moment, where it's like, wow, he did something incredible for God, and it was like this big, you know, this big story. That even if you didn't grow up in church, even if you don't know anything about the Bible or scriptures or anything, you have probably heard the story of David and Goliath to some extent, to where you just know the title of the story, like David and Goliath. I didn't know anything about the Bible, but I knew this idea of David and Goliath, the little kid facing a giant, and the. I think the most powerful uh, scripture, We could, I, at first I wanted to read y'all the whole story, but I was like, well, that'll take a minute. So y'all just have to look at it yourself, but it's in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and what I feel like the, the biggest turning point of the story is in verse 32, and it's when David says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him I'll go fight him and to give you a backdrop David was just bringing bread to the to his brothers that were soldiers in the army he wasn't even a soldier he was just bringing some bread he's a delivery boy so this is equivalent of your pizza guy showing up with Domino's or and all of a sudden there's this big fight outside of your house or your apartments and all the cops are at standoff. Like, what do we do? How are we gonna go in there? We need to get this raid. And, and like, they they have hostages, and the pizza guy just showing up. Like, hey, what's going on? What's going on? And you're like, hey, man, we're we're got a serious situation here. Okay, you can read about it in the news. You wouldn't know what to do in this kind of situation. And he's just going around, and all of a sudden, the person is yelling out some obscenities to whatever. is it. Yeah, well, the U.S. sucks. That's why we're doing it. Oh, no. <laughs> all of a sudden, he's like the patriotic pizza boy. And him going to the, the chief of police and saying, Hey, don't worry about sending anybody else. I know you all are scared. I'm going to go in and take them down. That would be ridiculous, right? And what would be even crazier is if the chief of police was like, All right, well, here's my best. Go in there, kid. (laughs) And that's exactly what Saul did. The king said, well, why don't you try on my armor? And if you're going to do it, you're the only one that's willing to go and face this guy. So I guess go ahead. At this point, what do we got to lose? No one else has volunteered. Everyone else was trained for it. He was not. And David said, well, I'm not used to these, this armor. And he took it off. He said, I'll just go in there with, I have a stick that I use for sheep. You, anyone ever work with cattle before? I, my grandparents worked with cattle and they don't use sticks as much anymore. They use a the little electric prods. It's not like dangerous electric prods, it's just like a little, like, and it's like, and so his stick was used for that in sheep, where a sheep would be going astray, like, and get them back over. And so the stick he had wasn't even used for violence, it was used for guidance. And he said, I'll just take this and let me just go get some stones real quick from the river and just gets a couple of, of, it says smooth, wet stones. And then when, so really no weapons at all, just with what he already had, a tool of guidance. And he says, all right, here I go. Now, what would you imagine everybody else thinking about this guy? It's like, have you ever saw somebody uh, that was like talking smack and you knew they were about to get beat up? And instead of intervening, you watch like to see what happens. If you ever seen a UFC fight and there's usually one guy that's like, like just talking so much smack and everybody wants to watch it just to see that guy get beaten up. Well, Goliath was this guy, but they all thought that David was going to get killed. And what happens is when he goes out, he just tells Goliath, Hey, you insulted my God. Get ready because you're gonna get the judgment of my God. And I don't it doesn't matter what I have, it matters of who is behind me. And it's this like very incredible story to where he throws a rock at Goliath's head. It says that it sinks deep into his skull, he falls down. David runs over and gets the weapon of Goliath, his sword takes it out of his sheath and cut, cuts off Goliath's head. Why didn't he use his own sword? Because he didn't have one. He just had a stick. He would have been there all day just hitting him with the stick and nothing would have happened. But he took the enemy's sword from its sheath and cut off his own head with it. And this whole story is like epic. It's really it's really a great one of the most greatest stories of the Bible to where it's like, like, yeah, I want to be used by God to go cut somebody's head off. Like, that sounds tight. But what, what is the perception from this story that we need to take away? If we're looking to be, if we want to have a heart like David, if we want to be like, uh, like him in the sense of what God wants from us, unpacking what willingness is starts with availability. Availability. And so many times we think that the king is going to call us out of the crowd and say, you, I got a good feeling about you. Why don't you go face Goliath? But it was David who was the one asking everybody questions. Hey, what's going on here? Hey, man, give me some of that pizza. Yeah, here you go. But what is that? And it's... It's because he was already available. He was making himself available. Not even just like, I don't got anything better to do, but in his job, he was asking questions and looking for a, a place to be used for, by God. He wasn't waiting for God to just call him out of nothingness, but he was active and looking for God to call somebody. Y'all get that? And when we make ourselves available to God, He gives us the ability. If you want it to rhyme, availability produces ability. It kind of rhymes, right? And the availability to the obedience of His will, the availability to a calling like that gives birth to the ability and grace to succeed in doing this will in a miraculous way. And... It's, it's almost like we have to set ourselves up to fail in a sense. David set himself up to fail, but it was all because of his faith. And a lot of times we look at faith as being available, but with a plan B. Y'all get what I mean? It, and it's the idea of like, well, if this doesn't work out, I still have my fallback. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And David's availability had no other option except death. It's just going to work. God's going to either do something or I'm going to look like an idiot. And it's going to look like God was, uh, that I should have never trusted in God in the first place. And it's almost like in moments like that, where faith, uh, that great faith produces the most miraculous abilities and grace. But so often we're so scared of putting ourselves in a situation to where we have to 100% trust in God that we avoid it altogether. And so often we don't see these miraculous things because we have so many other backup plans. Well, if it doesn't work out, I can still do this. And, And we wonder, well, why doesn't God move? We haven't really stepped out in that kind of faith. Y'all feel that? And another aspect about David, when it comes to willingness and unpacking what that willingness is, is a type of brokenness. And brokenness prepares your heart to be willing. In James chapter 4, 6, it says, and he gives grace generously as scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And David's willingness came from a perception, a self-perception of humility. He truly saw himself as nothing more than a shepherd's boy. Yet he was a king. And even as a king, there's so many times where you see him looking at other people more important than himself. He had such a humility about him. And humility is something strong, not weak. There's a time when... uh, David had soldiers that admired him so much that they infiltrate. he he just made a comment saying, "Man, if I could have the waters of this well that of this place that we've been trying to invade, I'd be the happiest. I'm so thirsty. If I could have the the waters of this city, uh, it would make my day." And he was just talking. He wasn't even like trying to manipulate anybody. And some some of his soldiers were so uh so inspired by David and admired him so much that that night they snuck into the city where they could have been killed, captured, tortured, and just to get some water because he, he didn't even ask for it, but he wanted it. And they brought it to him. And David, he said, who am I but a man to, to drink this blood that you guys have risked for me? He said, this water, is it's not water. This is blood. you risked your lives for this. And instead he, he poured it out as an offering to God because he did not see himself as somebody worthy for that risk. He was such an admirable person because of his humility. And if you think of people that you can admire, they're usually people that have a very humble countenance. Again, not an insecure countenance, not 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 a weak personality, but a humble one. To where it's like a CEO that doesn't mind picking up trash. Y'all know what I'm saying? And when you think of the opposite, a very prideful person, that's usually someone that everyone hates. (laughs) Like, not, not politically suggesting anything, but most people hate the president because of how arrogant he can be, right? Not making a personal stance, of course, but because of his arrogance and pride, so many people despise it. And whether it is, we could, even if we were to try to just look at the policies, it's almost like it doesn't matter because of his pride. And what, what I'm getting at is that humility is one of the strongest qualities of an individual to have when it comes to willingness. And when we are humble and seeing ourselves as not greater than, uh, greater than the next person, it allows us to be ready to do something that, that seems crazy, that even seems beneath us. Because even at this point in the story, David was already anointed by, by Samuel the prophet to be king. And it's something that he had in his heart that he believed God was going to answer, that he was called to be king. And so if he already knew that he was going to be king, why would he waste his time as a soldier? When he was going to be leading the soldiers y'all get what i'm saying it's because he had humility and when we when we have these different qualities it causes a merging to happen within our hearts to where our desires are not different from god's desires our desires are not different from god's desires when we're humble when we're available and willing our desires seem to want the same thing david didn't want to just kill Goliath to, to showboat, but that he had a, a, this righteous anger within him to defend the name of his God. It, you see, it was like this, it, had, it almost had nothing to do with David, but David in, injected himself in the middle of it because he wanted what God wanted. He wanted that, that name of God to be honored and glorified, not, uh, not smeared and that's what that's just simply what happens and I feel like that's a good check on our hearts of really where is our willingness to God's calling when we truly want what God wants y'all feel that and so let's unpack David a little bit more into transparency now transparency is very vulnerable And David was a person that was incredibly transparent in so many different aspects. But I want us, just like willingness, I want us to unpack what transparency is. First of all, David was incredibly transparent with his emotions to God. When you read some of the Psalms of the Bible, most of them were written by David. And there are some really beautiful Psalms. That like just sounds so pretty and so elegant, and some are very encouraging. Like Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of shadow and death, I will fear no evil. It's like, hell yeah, right? <laughs> and, but some of his psalms are very uh, like kind of out there. Some of them say things like, God, the situation I'm in is incredibly unfair, and the people that are against me hate me without cause. So I want you to kill them, God. God. <laughs> In fact, I want you to kill them, their, their children, too. That's, that's kind of like, hey, man, like calm down, right? Hey, just chill out, man. The, the, you, I think you're a little too upset. But see, that wasn't just like him talking. That was him talking to God. I don't know what your prayer life looks like, what things that you say, but I can honestly say that I've never prayed for God to kill somebody. Let alone kill their family too. I mean, that's, that's pretty, that's heavy. I feel like I, that's like some audacious prayer, right? <laughs> but see, it, it's almost like David wasn't necessarily like really wanting that to happen. Maybe he did. I mean, things were crazy back then. But it's almost like his desire was simply just be transparent with what he was feeling to God. And so often we pray pretty prayers that aren't really how we feel, not really what we're even thinking, but we're just we just feel like we pray this way just to pray this way. And I mean, I don't know how many times I've asked somebody to pray and they start off with, uh, "Father God, well, um, we thank you for today's grace and uh, your." your almighty goodness and father and father god and and it's like it's so uh like scripted almost and imagine if we even said prayed to god like dad I don't know what I'm going to do rather than father I know that you are sovereign and your hand is in control you know Imagine if we were really transparent with God. Like, God, I'm losing my freaking mind right now. I don't know what to do. I am really trying to trust you, but I'm so scared and I need your strength. Imagine just throwing off the Sunday suit in our prayer prayer closet and really going to God vulnerable and honest and transparent. That's what David did. And when you look at all the different people in the Bible that, that were marked as incredible men and women of faith, it wasn't that they were necessarily exceptional people, but that they were so transparent to God. Look at Job. The story of Job, his prayers were not pretty at all. He was frustrated, angry, depressed. said things like, God, you should kill the doctor that gave birth to me. Cause I wish I was never alive. I want to die right now. If I was, if I was born a stillborn, it'd be better than my life. If I lived everything and be right here where I'm at now. I mean, that's some like really emotional stuff that he's talking about. And at the end of the story, God commends Job over his friends and, and rebukes the friends for being these, uh, making this pretty analogy of God when it wasn't true. Telling God, oh, Job, don't, don't pray like that. You've got to pray pretty prayers. But that transparency to, to God with his emotions is what made Job and David so close to him. Another thing about David is that he was very transparent in his mistakes. I one time made a joke that when I was doing some carpentry stuff and I was, I was trying to share with this kid how to, how to do carpentry stuff, Y'all can tell that I'm really experienced with her doing carpentry stuff. And so I was just joking around. And I said, well, the first thing you got to know about carpentry is always admit when you have uh, made a mistake. Lucky for you, I've never made any. <laughs> That's a joke, right? <laughs> and David made a lot of mistakes, big mistakes in the Bible. He murdered somebody after committing adultery with uh, sleeping with his wife and to hide it it, to hide it. He ended up killing the guy and the guy was like a loyal (laughs) friend to him. Uh, There's so many times he was a bad father at multiple times. Very neglectful. Had his sons killing each other and didn't know what to do. So he just did nothing. And there's it's. And at the end of his kingship, there's a day where he took a census of Israel. And the census is where you just count how many people are in the, in the nation, and which doesn't seem like a big deal. But in Deuteronomy, in the laws for the kings, uh, in the Old Testament, there's a specific rule that said for them to not take a census of Israel. That they should not be puffed up in arrogance and thinking of how many people are in the land so that they can think, oh, I'm such a great king or whatever. And so there's a very, almost like random rule. Oh, by the way, don't take a census. And David knew that and so did everybody else. And even his army commander said, David, why are you doing this? And David said, just do it. Do what I asked. And at the end, there's this uh, pretty much... The prophet came to meet David, said, You have to choose between these three consequences. Which one do you choose? And and all throughout, every time that David had a consequence, every time that he he did something wrong, there wasn't a point, there was never a moment where he was like, kill this prophet for calling me out. Saul did that, the king bef- that that was before him, he did that. But every time that The mistake was shown. He didn't try to hide it, but he allowed himself to be vulnerable and admit to the mistake. And not only admit to the mistake, but take responsibility for it. And I want to just jump to a couple scriptures that, that paint this image of David. In chapter 24 of 2 Samuel verse 10, it says, But after he had taken the census, David's conscience began to bother him. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly by taking the census. Please forgive my guilt lord for doing this foolish thing see how even before things go crazy his conscience bothered him about it he was transparent with himself sometimes we do things that we know are wrong but we just keep shucking it in the back of our heart so that we don't have to really address it i just won't think about it today and, and we just keep trying to put it off because we don't want to feel guilty or shame or anything like that look how david just said his conscience bothered him and he's like God, how can I hide this from you? I messed up. A couple verses down in verse 17 says, when, this is when the consequence is going on. And it says, when David saw the angel about to attack the city, he said to the Lord, I am the one who has sinned and done wrong, but these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? Let your anger fall against me and my family. He saw other people suffering from his consequences. But he, he was so convicted and said, God, this is my fault. This is my fault. But see, it shows that when you have a responsibility over a family, you have responsibility over, of, over other people, when you have leadership in any form, your decisions have consequences that not only affect your life, but the people that you are responsible for. That's why all these people were getting affected by David's mistake. But look how his heart is crying out, This is my fault, not theirs. That's what a great leader does. And then finally, when, when God tells him how, uh, what sacrifice to do to make up for the the mistake, whatever, he, he goes to the person that the land says, let me buy this oxen. And the guy says that he still has so much respect for David and says, Hey, I'll, I'll give you the land for free and I'll give you the oxen for the sacrifice You're the king. You're you're David. Why would I wouldn't give it to you? You just have it. And David says, but the king replied to Aaron, no, I insist on buying it for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. See, he was offered a way of forgiveness for free. He was offered a way of paying for the consequences without it costing him anything. But he refused because he knew it wasn't right to try to go around God and try to find a loophole to to not have to pay for it himself. Y'all get what I'm saying? And so often, this loophole wasn't even something he looked for. It was presented to him. And some of us, the times where we know that we need to do something and we try to find loopholes around doing it the, the way that we really know we ought to do it. It's like the, it, we were talking about fasting earlier. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do the fast, but I'm going to do a fast to where I really won't feel it. See, that's a loophole around it. And David is, his heart is so transparent and with God and his mistakes and his actions to where he knows it's, he knows that it's a sham if he does it that way. And he's honest about it. And for us, we need to really take God serious and know that he's not a dummy. And that we, when we try to give him something that we knew didn't really cost us anything, but act like it's a great thing we did, he's not a dummy. And that's a lot, what a lot of people do, is they, a lot of us in the world are just decent. It's not that we're even good, not even incredibly good, But we're just decent. We didn't, we haven't killed nobody. And then we go to God like, I've been a good person. I've given a couple homeless people a couple dollars here and there. I've been good. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we've just been decent. We've been all right. We haven't done anything too bad. But we present it to God as if we made this great sacrifice to him. The final thing that I want to talk about when it comes to his transparency is his lifestyle of worship, his lifestyle of worship. It his lifestyle of worship showed that he was the same person in the temple, at church in the palace and even on the streets. He was consistent in every part of his life in his worship of God and having that relationship with God. There's a story when the Ark of the Covenant, which is a big symbol for God and the people of Israel, it was brought back to Israel after it had been taken away um, and by another nation. And it had come back. And David was bringing the Ark back to the temple. And for, the while, for a while, it was left at a guy's name's house, um, Obed-Edom, and he waited until he knew that, uh, that it was good for him to bring the ark back to the temple. And at this point in the story, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse, starting in verse 12, now I'm going to jump around to save some time. It says, Then the king to- David was told, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom in the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone just six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf and David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. Stopping here real quick. This image is, they're just barely getting started. They took six steps and David got so excited, he said, stop, we need to, we need to have a a party. This is the the greatest thing ever. That the the ark is back and we're bringing it to the temple of God. Does a couple sacrifices and it says that he danced before the Lord with all of his might. Couple verses down. In verse 16, it says, But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Macau, the daughter of Saul, who is married to David, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. So his wife, who is the daughter of King Saul, is now married to David. So she's kind of been risen in the palace. She has this idea of what, what you're supposed to look like as a king. And it's all, it's all, you know, show. And she sees David breaking away from this show and it it frustrates her. And this is really a perfect imagery of religion. When religion sees a a genuine relationship with God, it gets frustrated and disgusted by it. And religion says, well, you're not supposed to do it like that. You're supposed to put it all nice in a box. You're not supposed to just dance wildly in celebrating God. You do it this way. And this is what happens in this, uh, right after this. She, it says in verse, in verse 20, when David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. And she said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. So snobby. Just, doesn't that just irritate you, just even reading it? It's like you thought of somebody. David retorted to my call, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and his and all of his family. That was... That was a low blow, right? He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I am willing to even look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So, what he's pretty much saying is, first, he, he says, pretty much like, that was kind of mean, right? <laughs> well, if God wanted it done that way then he would have kept your father in office wouldn't he He said but he chose me because I'm willing to be as foolish as I want or as foolish as I need to be in praising my God he says he's pretty much saying because I'm not willing to be in a box and put on a show when I'm excited about how good God is that's why he chose me over your father and it, and he says and in those servant girls that you think are, are lower than you, they'll think I'm more distinguished than you are because I'm willing to, to show a right relationship with God instead of this religious show. And can't we all kind of take a step back and see that end today? People that don't even go to church can respect somebody that has a relationship with God over religion. Most of the people that I, I'm not trying to paint myself as like, oh, I, I'm doing it the right way. But most of the people I talk to that are not believers or churchgoers at all, they usually like me. I am I'm a likable guy because I can be very down to earth while still having a lifestyle of worship of God. But they, they have respect for me, but they hate the, the churchy churchianity, the religious show. And see, that's, that's really an image of, of how transparent lifestyle should look. A worship of God, a lifestyle of worship being the same in the street, at home, in the palace, in the temple. Everywhere we go, that, that lifestyle should be the same. And the reason that the world is so disgusted by Christians, by church, is because we only keep it in one place. We only keep that worship lifestyle at church and we, we act completely different everywhere else. Y'all know what I'm saying? And that's why people are, are, are so frustrated. And if we were to really be honest with ourselves, be honest with ourselves in looking at this idea of a lifestyle of worship, could you confidently say that your your worship lifestyle is consistent at work, at home, at church? Does it look the same everywhere? I, I, I mean, honestly, that's that's a hard thing to to really say, because there's a there's a breakthrough that has to happen to where you just don't care anymore. It's just who you are. And. If you feel troubled about your answer, I would encourage you, if, think about it like this. If you were to ask your coworkers if that if it was consistent, if you were to ask your family members if it was consistent, y'all dig y'all what I'm saying? And the reason I'm saying this is not to get us all bummed out like, wow, I suck as a Christian. No. It's because that kind of lifestyle is miserable. It, it you do not get to experience the fullness of God just one day if just living your that lifestyle one day out of the week even if it's in two spots and not the third it it's just you are cutting yourself short because it's only when you live in a lifestyle of transparency like that that you start experiencing that moment that people talk about to where like man i found god i really feel like i found him i hear him and we all expect god to call us before doing that lifestyle but it's just like david the moment when we we start living a lifestyle that's willing available humble transparent consistent It's in those moments where all of a sudden you're walking in a calling almost by accident to where you can hear it so clearly when God speaks to you. To where you start wondering if you're crazy because you're hearing things a lot more often. And you're thinking, man, is that God? And you're feeling confused because you don't know if it's God or you. When you start feeling confused like that, that's when God's actually speaking to you. Y'all get what I mean? And all of David really sums up is a pursuit. A pursuit. You know, today's title is, I didn't hear him call. And the moment that shifted in David's life, where God made a covenant with him to be the lineage of the Messiah, was when David thought of building a temple for God instead of it just being intense. Before this point, the Ark of the Covenant, everything is all in tents. And David said, well, I live in a palace with brick and stone. And my God is worshipped in a tent. We should build a temple. And it was at that moment where God saw David's heart in pursuit for him. That he made this covenant with him. And the reason that this is so meaningful that David was never asked to build a temple. And God even tells him that. Well, I never even asked you to do that. I never asked anybody to do that. But you just continue to want to glorify me. You're even trying to think of new ways to glorify me. And that is why he was chosen. And because he was always in constant pursuit of God in his life, to be glorified. And we don't, we don't have to wait for Him to do something crazy to do something crazy. We don't need to wait for God to tell us in a crazy way to start doing some crazy things for God. And this pursuit is so overly simple. A lot of times as Christians, we try to cap- compartmentalize our faith and the practices of our faith and devotion. I'll hear people all the time, start a reading plan and then, and then a couple days or a week goes by and say, well, I stopped doing that reading plan, that daily reading plan because I felt like I wasn't really like, like connecting the way I should have been. Like I was chewing on too much and so I had to slow down. And so now I just read once every couple weeks or whenever I feel like it, and the, see it's it's real. Does that look like pursuit? No, but when I'm telling you it's so simple with God that if you just if you just do things aggressively to chase after Him, something's going to happen. Amen. It's really that simple. If you just I'm not telling you to do things that are going to like that you know you're going to fail at, but in a sense I am. It's, it's better to just try to do some stuff. Not to earn God's love, but it's simply pursuing Him. God's love for you doesn't change whether you do something or do nothing. Everyone solidify that in your heart. But that pursuit and that engagement of God in your life to where you, you start having your own stories of God working in crazy ways, and you really are feel this joy within you because you, you've experienced God's presence, and you, you're feeling God with you, that's something that no one can take away from you. And it happens in pursuit. It happens in pursuit, like a 21-day fast. Like, do, like just doing a reading plan, making a devotions where I'm going to read the Bible every day. I'm going to read the Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day. Even if it's five minutes, I'm going to do that now. And so often we start something, but then we back away because it's, it's, it's inconvenient. And, but then we, we paint it with, well, it's, I'm actually not doing more because it's bringing me closer to God. Does that make sense? We, people who, who start, we, we start reading plans. We start devotion times. And then we stop it and say, well, it was just getting too hard. And so I stopped because it started becoming more of like a commitment thing rather than like a relationship thing. Y'all, Y'all get what I'm saying? And it's just the two or one relationship is commitment. I stopped dating my wife because it felt more like an obligation rather than like romance. that make sense and so the same thing we stopped having sex because it just felt like it started turning more into like an obligation thing rather than like spur of the moment thing y'all see how it doesn't work in other aspects (laughs) but for god we try to make it work and excuse ourselves from a pursuit and i'm just again this is not a message to make us feel like well i'm such a crappy christian No, this is all of us, myself included, where we get distracted from pursuits. And the truth is, the most miserable I am in my life are the moments where I've allowed so many distractions in between me and God to where my commitment to Him, my devotion to Him is dry. And and then all of a sudden, I don't really feel like joyful or peaceful anymore because I'm not really walking in His presence. I'm just walking around him. I just involve his name in my life, but I don't involve him in my life. And so this is a calling to all of us because there is so much joy and peace in that presence. And it—it it is only when we're in a committed relationship with him. God doesn't allow himself to be a side chick. Y'all feel that? And so we need to stop treating him like that. I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want you to have a deep thought. I want you to have a deep thought for a moment. And I strongly believe that there is always an opportunity for growth in every person's relationship with God. I one time heard a story of a pastor that would always end up going to the altar when a church would do an altar call because he would just feel so convicted like he, there was something else he, for him in God. It wasn't that he was in crazy sin or anything like that. He felt like he was far from God, but he just always felt like there's something more. He just would, They had to tell him, hey, stop going up to the altar. People think you're living in sin. But he couldn't help himself because there's just something more he wanted to find in God. And I feel like the moments that we feel content, the moments that we feel like we have finished that race, are the moments that we're actually farthest from him. And I want you to just, to yourself, talk to God for a moment. And tell him where you're at. Where, be honest with God where you feel like you're at. Tell him how you feel about y'all's relationship. Say, God, I I feel really far from you. And you can even be don't don't try to fake it. Just say what you really feel. I feel really far from you. Sometimes. I feel like it's you being far from me, but there's a big part of me that feels like I'm far from you. But I feel like sometimes I try to go closer to you, but it's almost like I feel like you push me away. Is that me? Is it you? What's really going on in my heart with you, God? Ask God to help you understand the things that are confusing with y'all's relationship. Ask Him for clarity. Ask him for guidance and how to have this real relationship with him. What is it I really need to do, God? And for some of you, you keep carrying this this label that God doesn't want you. That God doesn't love you. And everything that we talked about today, you must know. That God's love for you is the most consistent thing in the universe. And it doesn't change no matter how good you think you are or how bad you think you are. That love is so unconditional and so pure. And you need to hold on to that. Because pursuit is not about the mistakes that we make, but it is simply about the pursuit the journey. All of us trip and fall. All of us make mistakes. All of us go through spells where we try and we don't try. Where we run to God and sometimes we even run away from God. All of us. But it's about simply this pursuit of always getting back up and saying, God, I'm yours. Here I am. Don't wait for a A cloud to come down don't wait for a crazy moment but just make yourself available today god i just pray for all the people here people listening online and i pray for your spirit to just clarify things in each individual's life and that anyone here listening that is feeling compelled for a greater step in you I, f- I pray that you birth that commitment in them. That you bring about a greater restoring work in their heart to yours. And that you finish what you started in them. I just speak that commitment out in the name of Jesus. And those of y'all who are, feel that calling and are ready to, to raise the bar in your life and that pursuit, start today. Start with your own conversations with him. I thank you, Lord, for hearing us and for, for doing greater works than we can even see. We surrender to you, we believe you, and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.